welcome to the Wild Wonder Podcast, where we seek to demystify and democratize holistic wellness practices by speaking with today's leading practitioners. Today, we have Cuban-American writer, speaker, crisis consultant, and ayahuasca enthusiast, Ikama Costa. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm good. Welcome back to the podcast. Last time you were here, we were talking about shadow work. Yes. Um, so this is related. We're going to talk a little bit about the grief growth cycle, the importance of processing grief in order to get to your own inner sense of power, um, some aftercare and integration, as well as maybe some plant medicine ceremony. So I can't wait to get started. I think it's particularly important during this time of year. I know you have more insight than me, but it seems like now as we're going into fall in the Northern Hemisphere, that people begin to kind of come into closer contact with their their own grieving processes. Or, And I wonder why that is. Do you have any insight into why maybe yeah, we all go know, through this process? I think it's because, first of all, the veil is thinning. You know, um, it's, you know, as in Samhain nears, you know, it's it's just a, a closer connection to the other side. But also, I think going into the darker parts of the year, um, it's more like a, a renewal process. So so we have the spring where, you know, you think of birth and then summer, the height of life and then fall. It's kind of like you're going back into the darkness. You know, the days are getting shorter. It's getting darker. So we tend to go inward a little bit and we tend to really connect with our shadow self more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the cycle um, goes farther along. So I think that that is just like a natural tendency and also, um, you know, in, in not just humans, but also in, in a lot of myths, a lot of, you know, different religions and spiritual practices as well. Right. And maybe we're a little disconnected here in the United States from these traditional practices of grieving. Um, how do you see that showing up in our culture? Like if we deny that we are grieving, what are some of the symptoms that start to show up when we just pretend that we're not going through this process? I think we have a natural tendency to avoid death and the topic of death because it's so scary and has such a negative connotation. So people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to really um, show how they grieve just because, I mean, it's a, it could be a hot mess. You know, let's face it, when we're grieving, it's, it's really a tough time. You know, you mm-hmm. go through all these emotions. Healing is not linear. You know, it's not like one day it's going to be better than the last. No, it could be good days. And then all of a sudden you're in this deep, dark pit and, you know, you're all back to square one. So I think it's just a really tough process and it's really hard for people to deal with it. And of course, um, you know, you don't want to talk about your family members eventually dying. It's, you know, really uncomfortable topic. So people don't really face it um, while Mm -hmm. they're alive or while their loved ones are alive. You know, Mm -hmm. they tend to face it after something tragic happens or after they're facing mortality. So um, I think that's also um, deters you from kind of um, jumping right into the healing process just because there's been such a resistance, you know, and we're so connected to the physical plane. We're so connected to our bodies and, you know, the reality that we know that we're not really in touch with, you know, the other side or what happens after. And, um, and, and you know, a lot of, you know, when condition also, if you don't see things, they're not there. So, um, you know, you do tend to think of your loved ones as gone forever, you know, and you don't really think of the energy, the connection, you know, maybe messages that come after, things like that. And and so I think there's just a natural avoidance to that whole mm-hmm. topic for so many reasons. And this avoidance, does it show up somehow? Like, um, the, do you see it come out in a personality, this sense of avoidance? Are there any negative symptoms to doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of anger, uh, or repressed anger, repressed rage, um, 
a lot of, I guess, hesitation to deal with your own issues, you know, because you don't want to face that darkness, you don't want to face that grief, that, you know, the depressive episodes, the anxiety over losing somebody, um, or not having somebody there that has been a part of your life for so long. So there could be a lot of things that come up, um, you know, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and even physically, you know, just, you know, the tightness in the body, because emotion is obviously, you know, stored in the body in so many mm -hmm. ways. So it could really have a lot of repercussions if you don't really integrate um, that whole part of yourself, you know, the light and the dark, um, going back to shadow work, yeah. <laughs> I once read um, that grief was held in the lungs, and that was, I mean, it's true for me, I'm not saying it's true for everybody, but when I bring that to mind, when I'm having trouble breathing, or I feel like I'm getting choked up and I don't know why, I try to allow, connect with that and allow myself to grieve. So I wonder if that's like one symptom that you could kind of like move through if you just yeah. allowed yourself to grieve without even knowing why you're grieving at first. Yeah, and breathwork is so connected to emotions, you know, um, and I think breathing uh, and, and doing constant breathwork and, and, you know, um, just different practices uh, really connects you to your body, but also to spirit. And it, I think it allows for that duality, just that connection of the interior and the exterior. So it would mm -hmm. totally make sense that, you know, you're constricted, you know, if you're, you're having that avoidance of feeling those feelings. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, when, when we're nervous, we, we kind of have that short, shallow breath, mm -hmm. you know, and we have to really get into it and really, you know, have that deep breath, you know, to, to really feel everything, to be in touch with those emotions. Or even holding back tears. I think that's where mine comes from because we're not in a society that allows for that very often, especially as a woman where you're trying to, you know, tune into your masculine side in order to be perceived more powerful or in control. I think that's also a way of not allowing the grief to come up. And then there's that sense of control and constriction. Yeah, absolutely. No, oh, yeah. So since we live in kind of, I think what you're describing is we live kind of in a death negative society, what would it mean to live in a death positive society? Um, I think instead of mourning, um, I think it would be more of like a celebration or like a welcoming, you know, to the afterlife, you know, kind of like a graduation ceremony mm -hmm. as opposed to a, like just a, a goodbye, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, just acknowledging those cycles of birth and, and death and rebirth, you know, um, that happen naturally. I think is very important and you know also I think it also has to do a lot with our connection to the earth you know because mm -hmm. you know we all only see the material and, and I think um, in cultures that have that more um, you know uh, open-minded connection to the earth there, there's there's more evidence of those cycles being practiced you know um, we take from the earth and then we go back to the earth so it's it's that whole regeneration process mm -hmm. that you don't see as an ending but a continuity and I think that's so important to also look at it in that frame of light Right. I'm, I'm just thinking about how death negative we are in that kind of like that old movie, The Beach, how we just like ship our older people off somewhere so we don't even have to look at them yeah. and how our society is so segregated that like people live in a building with only young people and you don't see any older folks. And then there's, you know, elderly residences and elder care and nursing homes and how that must mess with our idea of like this natural progression of life unto death unto life. Yeah, absolutely. And I get a lot of that also from my callers. As a crisis counselor, I get a lot of people who are isolated um, or people, you know, who just have no family or have been shunned just because they're sick or elderly mm -hmm. or, or, you know, just um, not contributing to society anymore. And that's so, you know, that's sad. It, it gives mm -hmm. you that sense of 
um, if you're not producing, if you're not, you know, valuable to somebody or something, then you get dismissed. And and I think that's also another important point to, you know, to focus on. Yeah, like how do and we... And also, move? you know, and also in other cultures, the, you know, the sages or elders, you know, and, and you know, that, that crone imagery, you know, there's right. a lot of wisdom in age. Here we tend to kind of like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, old man, you know, and yeah. it's, just, it's just so awful, you know, because there is that wisdom and, and there is that connection to your past and to your ancestors that is so crucial for your growth. Yeah, we even do it to ourselves. I think we could see it in like this plastic surgery boom, like, who are we fooling? Like, we're getting older. Like, <laughs> like I'm okay if you want to do nip tucks and all this thing, but to deny the very existence of aging, I yeah. think, is when we fall into trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that resistance. And anything that has resistance is definitely going to constrict you more. You know, if you go with the flow, it's going to be more natural, it's going to be more healthy, you're going to be more open, and, and just more accepting of what is, you know, that radical acceptance of, okay, you have, you're in this state now, but, you know, you got to realize that, you know, you do your best, but there's also where you're headed, you know, and, and the obstacles you're facing. So um, I think just holding that that radical acceptance kind of attitude really can help a lot. Right, and I think it also sets an example for others when we when we allow for that. Like, yeah, I like I have a wrinkle because I'm this age, that's what happens, you know, like, yeah. instead of always trying to, I don't know, look 20 because we have this hyper fixation on youth here. And we exactly. Miss so much. I think that's why a lot of our culture is stuck in this sense of adolescence. You know, maybe even like the the first chakra, we don't move up in the in the chakra system to be able to explore these other sides and these transitions. So yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastically important. How do you see now? You say like messages. You said messages from the other side. Yeah. So you see death as a continuation. What is something that well, what do you believe after we die, what it is that you believe? Well, here's the thing. Um, I've, I've studied so many weird, you know, religious yeah. paths and everything and, um, and different religions. And um, obviously, we don't know what happens for certain. And um, the way I see it, it's kind of like a continuum in the sense that um, energetically, it's, it's the way I always see it is kind of like tuning into a radio station. You know, some mm -hmm. people are more sensitive and they're able to tune into that frequency and receive those messages or, you know, have more of a connection. Um, and, and as, a, as far as like transitioning ourselves, the way I see it is just our energetic body doesn't go away. It just doesn't mm -hmm. disappear. It has to go somewhere. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're less locked into our physical state, but I think our consciousness really continues. Um, and, and that's just my, you know, personal opinion. Obviously there's no answers, but um, that's just how I've, you know, always mm -hmm. perceived it and, and, um, and, and just uh, engaged with it. You know, mm -hmm. from time, I just received that kind of information, and, and it's just a lot of weird coincidences and synchronicities yeah. and messages that have been validated, things like that. So um, that's just been my belief. So you feel it is possible that after a relative dies and there are now some form of consciousness, that they could reach out to us on the physical plane in some way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And um, I mean, I could be delusional. <laughs> that's perfectly normal. But um, <laughs> but it's just been funny because I've gotten like just really interesting messages and have really interesting experiences throughout my whole life. Can you explain one, if you don't mind, of those um, coincidences? Just, um, I guess, messages in dreams or messages in ceremony um, or just message, you know, like you'll be just going about your day one day and then, you know, it's like you, you channel some information and then you go to a certain place and find what you're looking for. It's so stuff like that that's just mm -hmm. really bizarre that I can't explain in any physical kinds of 
way, you know, except for that, just that receiving of information. And there's so many ways of knowing, you know, not mm -hmm. just the five senses, but there's just all sorts of ways to gather information. Um, and I think and that's one of them. Yeah. Do you think that happened for you naturally? Or did you begin a practice that allowed you to open up to this like newfound awareness? Uh, I've always had that connection since I was a kid, just like pondering it and, and just having reading a lot about it, things like that. But um, I think that with more practice and with more awareness, you do tend to notice more. So mm -hmm. the thoughts, things that you thought were maybe coincidence, it's like, oh, wow, well, this is, you know, there's something here, you know, there's something I should explore. And of course, always do it, you know, um, discern with all your discernment. It's not just like, oh, you know, fine, <laughs> you know, it, you always have to really just process it and analyze it, see if it applies, see if it resonates, see if it makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. and the same thing with dreams. And, and that's the thing. I mean, it could be, it could be symbols. It could be, you know, your collective consciousness, whatever it may be. It's just receiving that information um, just mm -hmm. gives you so much awareness and intuition and power. And, and I think that's so important to really be in touch with that because we tend to really just passively accept the things that we hear or see from mm -hmm. others, you know, from experts, from television, um, from celebrities, which is kind mm -hmm. of ridiculous. Um, but also, you know, it, it's just a matter of really trusting yourself and your, and your knowing and your intuition. I think that's How would a person that um, maybe they've never even heard of someone passing on to the other side and being able to communicate, and how would you tell them to get started? Um, I would say that's a tough question because everybody's so different, you know, and right. the, way, the ways you connect are so different. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, I would just be, because a lot of, it's funny because a lot of uh, also my callers say like after somebody passes, like they'll feel a presence. They think they're going crazy. You know, um, they'll, they'll feel something on their shoulder. And, you know, all I would say to them is just pretty much just, you know, what is your, what is that energy telling you? You know, just what are you feeling? You know, what's moving mm -hmm. through you? What comes to your mind? Um, you know, don't censor your thoughts in the sense that, you know, you dismiss them because you know, you can't see them or, or you think they're crazy or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, journaling is so important also, just, you know, writing down patterns, writing down experiences, dream mm -hmm. journaling. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of uh, voyaging that goes on in, in, during the night, not just dream-wise with lucid dreaming or, or getting symbols, but also, you know, if, if you do energy work and astral projection, things like that, that, you know, you could, there's many ways of receiving information. Um, so it's just explore, explore, you know, everything that interests you, everything that, that calls to you, everything that you feel resonates with you and, and makes sense to you. And, and everybody's going to be different. You know, some people are more visual, some people are more auditory, some people just have that sense of knowing. And, um, so it's really hard to really have a guideline for everybody. So mm -hmm. it's just follow your, your, your true self and be authentic with your receiving of the information. But I think what you're doing is giving everyone permission. You're giving yeah. them a sense of allowing because I think we can't hear or receive anything until we allow ourselves to possibly believe in its in existence. Like we're not saying it definitely exists. We're saying maybe. And yeah. I think what you're doing for people is you're allowing them that maybe that opens a little window for them to then explore what they believe. Yes. Yeah. And that's so important because also we've been so culturally conditioned to repress that or to not... Um, I guess acknowledge it because it you know it hasn't been proven or it's not real to most people so a lot of times i think we dismiss our, our true instincts and our true intuition and we miss a lot that way mm -hmm. you know we deny ourselves that you know that path of knowing or, or that way of receiving that information and and i mean that's i think a disservice to ourselves a lot a lot of the time
what can that do for someone, you know, in the throes of grief to maybe begin to believe that the person that they are grieving is somehow still there, is still relevant in their lives? Well, it definitely provides comfort, you know, um, I think that's the main thing. And also, it's just, um, I think it gives you um, that continued connection, you know, to yourself and to that loved one and, and also to your lineage, to your ancestors, you know, because now you're in touch with this other possibility, this other realm. So I think it makes you want to do a lot of inner exploration and, and just also, um, you know, just that connection um, with, with the other person that, that doesn't have to end, you know, and, and the fact that, um, you know, because we still love, you know, even even though we live like two different cities away or whatever, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't stop loving when somebody's, you know, passed on. So I think it just gives you that sense of um, um, it connects you to the eternal, you know, in the sense mm -hmm. that it doesn't it doesn't have that separation of, of life and death or that notion of ending. Um, I think it's more of like a, a connection to yourself too, you know, making mm -hmm. you, you know, that eternal consciousness, you know, just being aware of that. I think it's important. That actually made me think about not just endings in terms of death, but endings in terms of relationships. Um, people that have stopped, maybe not even not love each other anymore, but they can't um, cohabitate anymore. They move away or friendships fall apart. And I, I think at least personally, when I allowed myself to, uh, allowed myself to still love that person, instead of closing that door like that person doesn't exist anymore like we're gonna put that in a box over here in my past and we don't have to think about it anymore that caused me more suffering to do that that sense of like trying to ignore and replace than allowing myself to be more open to the idea that I could still share love energetically with this person who is not physically there yeah, and I think also it's less torturous on yourself, you know, because if you have that resentment, if you have that anger, if you have that grief, you're constricting yourself. The other person's oblivious to how you're feeling, you know, so it's really not hurting them. So I think it's more also for yourself, you know, coming to terms with that and then holding that, you know, space for, for growth and, and for kind of acknowledging the fact that, yeah, things end, certain relationships are important, certain points in your life. And, um, you know, some people come in and out for a reason and it doesn't have to be a negative thing that they leave. You know, it could just be a lesson or, you know, just an addition to your life, you know, that was a bonus that maybe you wouldn't right. have before. So, yeah. Or, or even endings for ourselves, right? There's like, as we go through the growth process or even maturation process biologically, we have to continuously say goodbye to a version of ourselves that no longer exists. Yes. And I personally, like, I find the biggest struggle with, like, to be able to, like, bless that person and thank them and grieve that former life in order to move on. Because even if that, this new life seems better on paper, like, you're getting finally these things that you've always wanted, part of, of me, at least, is always kind of grieving what I left, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think also that, that you mentioned that it reminded me of the whole um, notion of that's our sense of identity. You know, a lot of times our sense of identity limits us. And we think that we're the same person that we have been since birth, you know, because that's our, that's our personality, that's our identity. But we constantly grow and change, you know, moment to moment even. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not the same person we were five minutes ago. So, you know, it's natural that you won't be the same person next year or next week even. And I think that's important, having that fluidity, that notion of a fluid identity in the sense of your, your consciousness and what you acquire day to day, your experiences, your feelings, your thoughts, you mm -hmm. know, things you've overcome, 
um, changing false or limiting beliefs. I think all that is so crucial in, in realizing it. Yeah, and it keeps us from being rigid or, you know, angry old people. <laughs> I think people always think, I find it funny, people that don't engage with the elderly often always think that everybody matures into these, like, beautiful older people that are, like, so carefree and just, like, super kind. I'm like, that is not always the case. Like, <laughs> I don't think we all mature in that way. There's some people that hold on so tightly to identity that when they get into their older years are just angry and closed off. And then, of course, you have those beautiful examples of people that are open and they've been, like, going with the flow and now they've arrived here and they've lived this full life. But it's not all of us. So there, ha there is some work to be done in there. Oh, absolutely. And I think gratitude is so important also in that sense, you know, the gratitude of your experiences, of your lessons, you know, how you've progressed through the years. And when we were talking about aging earlier, I mean, everybody wants to be, you know, in their 20s. But I mean, we were so insecure back then. We didn't right. know what life was about. I don't want to go back to that place, you know. I'm just, I, I'm so much more comfortable now, you know. And, and as I age and, and, and learn new things and experience new things, I'm, I'm more comfortable in my skin. I'm more comfortable in my experiences and in dealing with adversity and dealing with obstacles. Just because you're like, oh, I went through that. I can do this, you know. And, and all the lessons you learn and all the experiences that you have, I think, really shape you into the person that, you know, that you you're, you want to become, you know? Yeah, absolutely. At this age, I, always, I try to give gratitude and think back, especially in instances which I, I catch myself being like, wow, that, that event would have flatlined me at 20. Like, yeah. I would have been unable to get out of bed for like a week. And now at this age, I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. next. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> but um, we always hear about the grieving process in terms of steps. What is it? Keebler-Ross's like five stages of grieving. Yeah. Do you agree with that idea? Um, I mean, you I are a crisis counselor, so you would see the grieving process in real time. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of people. But I think, again, everybody grieves differently. You know, some people are more angry. Some people are more in denial. Some people are more accepting of it, you know. And I just think it really depends on the tools that you have and your preparation for death and your preparation for dealing with death, you know, and talking about it is so important, you know, just because in trauma therapy in general, talking is processing. So, you know, you can do, I mean, I used to do traumatic incident reduction with, with clients, you know, TIRs, and, you know, there's always TIR for past traumas, but nobody ever thinks of doing a future TIR, you know, for, well, let's experience the worst possible scenario kind of thing. And then, you know, that way you're prepared. And it doesn't have to be in a clinical setting. It could just be mm. journaling about it. It could be talking about it. Just really being open and honest with what you have to say and what you're dealing with and the feelings that you're going to encounter. And I think um, just, just being prepared for that phase of your life, you know, whether it's your own mortality or somebody else's, is so important, you know, just to have the skill set, to have the, all the coping mechanisms that, you know, that you can have so you can be more resilient and get mm. through it in an easier fashion. You say it's a TRI. TRI? D-I-R. D-D-R-I. Oh, yeah. Traumatic <laughs> incident reduction. So Traumatic it's, yeah. incident reduction. Yeah, and that's honestly a really good uh, trauma therapy. A lot of people have heard of EMDR um, mm -hmm. as, as a trauma uh, intensive technique. But T-I-R is just pretty much for telling the story over and over again until it loses its charge. And I was lucky to, to, to have a great mentor, you know, my, my director from the trauma agency that I started with. And she still does these, you know, she even does them online. She's moved to Costa Rica now. But, um, but yeah, it's just such a wonderful technique. I would see people 
come into the agencies with like 20 or 30 years of therapy. And then after a few sessions, they're like, this is the first time I've been able to access that memory without it triggering me with, you know, um, it doesn't feel like it's happening all over again. And I think that's the magic of processing just, you know, um, cause traumatic thoughts are stored differently than, than regular thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. regular thoughts are more like, Oh, I had breakfast today. They're very matter of fact, you know, traumatic energy mm -hmm. is just very, it's happening all over again. Even if it happened 50 years ago, you know, you have that fight or flight chemicals kicking in and, and you're in that state of panic and you're reliving everything. So what, what trauma intensive, you know, therapies like TIR does is it bridges, you know, those, you know, it pretty much re, re, like relocates that. <laughs> yeah, rewires. And, and so it's really uh, amazing the results it can have. Um, so anything that involves, you know, that type of processing, that type of just getting that, that energy out, you know, so mm. it doesn't trigger you. And so you're able to access these thoughts and feelings without feeling that overflow of, of chemistry going through your body is just really important in this process. Yeah, because the body doesn't know the difference. Um, I was think I was reading about this in, um, actually I was studying fictional literature and how it affects the body. So there's this idea in psychology of theory of mind, which is the ability of when you read something of your body to actually think that you're there. Say you're reading about like eating ice cream and you're like feeling the coldness on your tongue and your body's going through all the sensations as if it were actually happening to you. So I'm imagining as you're speaking that this kind of trauma theory, therapy would be the same thing. They're kind of bringing them through the story so their body can kind of process everything and then move it out. Is that fair? Yeah, because traumatic memories, a lot of times people don't remember what went on, you know, the details. They just remember like the sight sounds, the major impressions. So mm. what it's, uh, traumatic memories have to be triggered. So essentially by repetition, you're triggering the person, right? And so, but it's in a safe space. So you don't stop right there. And, and that's the important thing. It's not like a 50 minute session where you're like all the way up here. It's like, see you next week. No, it's <laughs> as long as it takes. Sometimes I've had sessions take three hours, you know, if that's as long as it takes. Because with that repetition, you're moving that, you know, those chemists, those, that chemistry, that energy. And, and you're, you're pretty much um, relocating those thoughts to a point where they can be a matter of fact kind of memory. And yeah, it's still tragic. It's still awful, but um, it, it's just become you know, a memory, a really bad memory, but it doesn't have that physical, physiological response. And another important thing is um, the integration of memory. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times um, uh, in times of trauma, we have, we fail to have memory consolidation. So you don't have the full picture, you know, you don't have mm -hmm. all the information. So by bringing all that up to the surface, you start piecing things together and you start making connections and, and you start, a lot of people, you know, have blank spots in their lives. They can't, you know, they have blackout periods or they can't remember, you know, if it's a traumatic mm -hmm. period or a period of grief, everything seems like a blur. And it's because of that, you know, because you're not consciously aware of, of, of the, the descriptive details as much as you are mm -hmm. in like a declarative memory, you know, like what you have for breakfast or where you went yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think first thought I would, when you said that is, if there's a traumatic memory that I don't remember, I probably don't want to remember. <laughs> So yeah. imagine um, getting a person to even go through this is yeah. probably difficult. It is. Most yeah. of us would think, like, let's just keep that blacked out. That's cool. I don't remember 8 through 12. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But what does that do to a person when you keep that in the dark? Well, it still affects us on a subconscious level. I can tell you that. You know, so you might not work, con you're not 
might not be consciously aware of it, you know, where you're avoiding it or in denial that it happened, or maybe just don't even remember, but it does affect our, you know, our interactions, our relationship to ourselves, our, you know, limiting beliefs, our relationship to others, um, you know, and, and pretty much how you live your life, you know, and of course you're, you're always triggered by it. You're just not aware of it. <laughs> you might not be aware of what's causing your anxiety or, or depression, but it's there. It's always there. And, and, you know, there's that metaphor of pulling the splinter, you know, you can't, heal until it's out you know it's going to fester it's going to you know it's going to hurt to pull it but it's going to at least that's the first step to healing you know addressing that and really coming face to face with it but it's hard it's hard work i'm not going to lie it's, it's pretty intense you know <laughs> yeah i think it was so cool when i did my trauma informed um therapy training um the it showed me that our ability to hold our own trauma or to experience and then release our own trauma is allows us to then be able to hold space for another person in trauma, especially if that person is experiencing the same trauma that you went through. Yeah, and that's exactly right. People ask me, why don't you take, you know, you, you're not like affected by these calls or by these sessions. I'm like, no, because one of the first things I learned, and I was grateful against the study under, mm -hmm. under Teresa, was that, you know, you, you have to be, first of all, present for the other person. You can't be thinking like, oh, this happened to me. You know, no, it's not about you. It's about the mm -hmm. other person. You know, you can't connect it to your personal life. You can't be thinking about, oh, my cousin went through this, my uncle went through this, my mother went through this, I went through this, you know, because mm -hmm. then you're not going to be aware. And guess what? All that subconscious information is seeping into you. So you're going right. to be true, you know? <laughs> and also another really important thing besides remaining present is be aware if you're in session and you're being triggered, why? You know, and then do your work on it, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't want to stick with that. You don't want to really carry that. The more work you do on yourself, the easier it is to hear other people's story and sit mm -hmm. with other people without having to really have that aversion to, you know, to the information or, or to that kind of energy. I've actually seen it on the other end, too, um, where I'm telling a story that maybe I don't feel as traumatic anymore. Maybe I've processed it. And the other person is so unable to process the information that they will. I've even seen somebody actually, like, check out, like, leave. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, okay. And you're like, oh, that's, if you're aware enough, you're like, oh, that's a trigger for them, something they haven't worked through. And yeah. and then you could also see it in yourself of the times I've done it when I'm like, oh, this person is telling me a story. And it might not even be something that happened to me, but it's something that I fear might happen to me. And I think that takes it back to the whole aversion of death, because if we're avoiding death, anytime death happens around us, which it happens all the time, we're going to like step out of the situation. We're not going to be present for the people that are, are actually grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And you don't want to be um, not present for them, but also not present for yourself. You know, you have to step into your life fully. Hmm. And, and part of it is embracing that fear and that, that, you know, acceptance to the unknown. Cause I mean, we fear what we don't know. I mean, let's hmm. face it. It's that's just the thought of it is scary than actually going through it. You know, right. um, a lot of times our anxiety is just, you know, when we get to that point, we're like, Oh, this was it really. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that it's a lot of, a lot of it's just apprehension and, and just not, not being okay with not knowing and not being okay with the uncertainty and the chaos of it all. You know, we want order. We want, you know, pretty things in boxes, you know, yeah. But no, life is chaotic and, you know, and it should be because, you know, how boring would it be if we knew everything that was going to happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And how constricting that would be to be like, I mean, you know, those people too. I mean, we all do it. Like as we get older, we want to be safer and safer and safer. And then 
oftentimes our lives get more and more boring because we're like, oh no, I've discovered that I really like to wake up at seven o'clock and have my coffee and read my New York Times and like be in my little box and not talk to anybody. You do that enough over time, your life becomes really boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once you stop um, growing or just exploring new things, you know, it can, that, that's it. Your identity is more cemented, you know, and you're less fluid. You're less, you know, open to new experiences and spontaneity. And, and, and yeah, that can really lock you into, you know, just a really routine, you know, that, that, that could be a prison, really, a lot of the mm -hmm. time. I think that takes us into the idea of um, experiencing grief to get to our inner sense of power. Can you explain how that would work or why that would happen even? Yeah, I think that a lot of times when we grieve, we really become honest, you know, with ourselves and with our emotions. You know, if you truly uh, are in perspective and, and kind of want to get in touch with that, you know, a lot of times we're just sad and don't mm -hmm. really process things. But um, if you, unless you get in touch with that, with, you know, your darkness, your fears, your, you know, your apprehensions, it really causes you to really go inward, you know, and do a lot of the work um, that maybe you, you, you haven't really focused on before because it hasn't come up or, you know, maybe you've been avoiding it for whatever reason. And I think um, grieving helps us kind of crack open our hearts in the sense that, you know, it allows you to feel, it allows you to be more human, you know, more humble, um, more connected to others, you know, in a sense, because it's a, it's a human experience, you know, grieving is part of everybody's life, you know, mm -hmm. let's face it, we're going to grieve at some point or another. So I think it, it connects you to, again, the eternal, you know, because it's that mm -hmm. whole process of birth and, and rebirth, but also um, the human, the collective experience. And, um, and it really opens up um, the whole range of emotions uh, that we were probably never in touch with before. And, um, you know, any sort of new experience, any sort of growth, any sort of integration of yourself uh, is so important. Yeah, you know, just for you mm -hmm. to continue of that in that process of becoming, you know, of, of your end goal, you know, actualizing your potential. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to experience every range of experiences, you know, um, you know, theoretically as, as a soul, you know. Um, and so I think that's very important in, in your in your evolution. You know, not just your, your life here, but your, your spiritual evolution. And if we think about grieving and this process of moving from grieving into inner power, you mentioned that there's an integration process that happens after. Can you speak to that, um, what the aftercare would look like after this grieving process as you move out and toward inner power? Yeah, and I think um, aftercare also, um, not just in the grieving process, but any sort of um, session, you know, whether it's a trauma session, a ceremony, you know, healing ceremony, um, or just your personal grief, um, you know, it's it's really easy to, to go through that range of emotions, to really, uh, on your own time, you know, in private, um, but it's so hard when you're out in the world, you know, and you have to interact with people, and you're going through it, and you're triggered, and you don't want to deal with anybody, you know, you just want to stay home <laughs> and be under the covers, you know. And, and I think that, that it, it allows you to really have more strength and resiliency when you have to do that integration, that daily life, you know, because um, it's easy. One of the messages that I got from ceremony one time was that it's easy to heal in a vacuum, you know, because mm -hmm. you have so much chaos going on around you and you just like shut up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, and, and, you know, it's easy to heal in a vacuum, you know, if you're a Buddhist on a mountaintop. Yeah, good for you. I mean, it's yeah. awesome, but, but it's really easy to really be at peace. It's really mm -hmm. hard when you're amidst the chaos, you know, when you're really surrounded by, you know, by grief or death or, or just chaos. Um, 
or just or just people or just noise everyday noise of you know the world the news mm. you know, the media friends you know other people's stuff that that they want you to help them with so i think that it's so important to also have that balance of um you know inner growth but also that connection to the world as you're doing the work yes it reminds me of a friend in costa rica once asked me a question we were driving and she's like why is the dalai lama so peaceful and i thought it was like i don't know i guess I was like, is this a trick question? I have no idea. She's like, because he's the Dalai Lama. He has, he's been like in a temple since birth and everything else is done for him. So he's never had to deal with like the real world and move through the things that we have to move through and be triggered. We have to like attempt inner peace while constantly being, you know, I don't want to say attacked, but constantly being interrupted yeah. while we're trying to heal. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you lose your place, you know, you, if you keep the interruption, but that, but that's where the strength comes in, you know, that, that ability to, to have one foot in each world kind of thing, you know, the world of chaos, and then your own inner peaceful world, um, or even inner chaotic world, but just that connection between the outer and the inner, you know, that, that a lot of us struggle to, to have, you know, that balance, because a lot of times we're either very externally focused or very internally focused, you know, mm -hmm. It's really good to have that duality, um, that you know, ability to integrate your your personal experience with those around you and what's going on. Because we do live in a dualistic world, for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> but you did say you received this message in ceremony, and you're alluding to your ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. What does the role of plant medicine play, if any, in this kind of grieving, healing, growth process? So this is the interesting part, you know, because trauma therapy is very conscious, you know, you can't be on any sort of, you know, not even medication because mm -hmm. it, it blocks the processing. Um, but that's different because you're cognitively shifting, cognitively shifting, you know, these thoughts and emotions. Whereas when you go to ceremony, um, any sort of plant ceremony, it's more like um, things that you're not even aware of. Uh, come up. So and, mm -hmm. in therapy, you know, you know what you want to address. I mean, it might go it's like a roadmap. Yeah. Yeah, there's a plan, you know, some sort of at least, I mean, and that's the thing in trauma therapy, you never know where it's going to go. So you might have one intention, but end up somewhere else. But at least you have a direction, you have, you know, some sort of goal, um, what you want to heal. Now, in plant medicine ceremonies, yeah, you go with your intention, but you never know where, what's going to happen, you know. You can have other stuff come up that you have no idea. You might not even been aware that it was a problem. And, and that's the um, magic of it, the fact that it's like, it's going to slap you in the face with what you <laughs> see. And this is why a lot of people have a lot of resistance to it. Or they're like, oh, that was horrible. Because a lot of times when people have, you know, bad trips or whatever experiences, um, it's because it's not that you're physiologically reacting to something, you know, negatively. It's mm -hmm. more like the stuff that comes up, you can't deal with, you know, whether it's it shows you that you're a shitty person, or it shows you, you know, of like traumatic stuff that that you've been through before, and you just have to be willing to accept everything that you see, and and don't take it as literal. You know, mean because you're gonna see some creepy, weird stuff, but mm. you know, symbolism. You know, a lot of it is symbolism and and metaphors, and mm. so it's about knowing, being in touch with that, and what comes up. You know, you analyze it. You're like, what does this mean to me? Why is this important? Why did I see this today? You know, mm. why why did it come up? So I think it's that whole notion of being comfortable with whatever part of yourself that you're, you know, you might not have been comfortable before mm -hmm. and just allowing that to happen, allowing that to be part of your identity. Because, yeah, we might have done something bad or we might have experienced something bad or we might have witnessed something bad. 
but it doesn't have to lock you into that. You know, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to always be part of your um, like energy field. So I think mm-hmm. the integration of that really releases you from from that being bound to that. You know, that that memory or that persona or, or you know that victim mentality or whatever. Um, I think just coming to terms with stuff that happens and stuff, you know, just even if you're not prepared for it is really important and moving on in, in a lot of ways. And it's so liberating, honestly. It really is so liberating. And there's a lot of healing. It's honestly like 10 years of therapy in like one night. I don't even know. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, but it's, and, and you, hear, you hear people's stories, you know, the next morning, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, people that have been grieving deaths and, and you know, just, you know, losses of all kinds. and. Or, or just a, a lot of people um, use it for to, to quit addictions, you know, like heroin addictions, mm-hmm. or, you know, or any sort of addictions because it's so healing. And a lot of times addictions are, are tied to trauma, you know, and traumatic memories and experiences. So I think resolving that really helps, um, you know, the person in the sense that mm-hmm. it gives them a sense of strength. It gives them a sense of character and insights to themselves. And it gives them a sense of hope, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they feel peace because it really is a compassionate way of showing you know it, it's mm-hmm. i mean it's terrifying but but it really it really is compassionate you know um and and it's like you're able to view stuff and be like wow okay you know and it, it's i don't know it's just like a different way of experiencing the healing than trauma it seems like almost in the way that you're describing it like the chemically induced like buddhist ideal of moving into or even the vedic idea of moving into the observer position yes. of your own life with that that's true yeah, yeah, like in meditation, you know, the same thing. Uh, I mean, obviously it's different because, you know, in meditation you're you're clean, you don't use anything. But um, but it's that notion of watching your thoughts and observing your thoughts as, you know, it's like it, they're just weather, you know, passing clouds or storms, you know. And and it's, you know, that notion of just write it out. You got to, you know, you got to get the only way out is through, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it really um, provides that structure in the sense that no matter what chaos you go through, you know it's going to be done you know as mm-hmm. long as you stick to it and kind of ride that wave you know yeah. and, and and you can use that in life in so many ways you know just maybe with like um, a job that's taking forever or, you know or or a situation that you're really anxious to to get through it just mm-hmm. kind of ride it out you know and and, and you know there's going to be change and it's going to you know not always get better but it's going to get different <laughs> you know yeah. you're not always going to be in the same situation always forever but- so I think we're not very good at that. Um, the idea of waiting, especially in like modern day life, of like, oh, this will eventually be better, or may, or this will eventually be different. At least, mm-hmm. I think we're very used to being able to like push a button, take a pill, like do something immediate to change our circumstance. Yeah, and it sounds like this experience can allow us to learn that ability or start to learn that ability of being able to ride something out and see it, how yeah. it changes and flows. Absolutely. And I've tried so many different modalities, you know, breath work, meditation, you know, all this stuff um, throughout my life. And I still practice all of it, you know. Um, but for some reason, uh, in ceremony, it's like you get tossed into the fire, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's like... Sounds oh. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying, I'm not going to lie. But, uh, but it's, it, you know, the afterwards, the sensation is just amazing like once once you you're you're through it and you know it's the next morning and you're like wow i can't believe i went through all that you know (laughs) and and it's just i mean it's really intense physically emotionally mentally crazy but um but it's just um it's really it's a relief you know (laughs) and and it's just something that um it, it it makes you kind of welcome 
challenges in the sense that you're like, all right, well, what do you got for me next? You know, because you, you become stronger and you become more resilient mm -hmm. on so many levels. And, and, you know, just by facing all that darkness and the fears and, you know, the obstacles that you faced in the past, it really has um, given you more of a sense of, um, I guess, uh, I, uh, knowledge of yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and in like introspection into yourself. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It doesn't stop at ceremony. You know, that's the easy part. You know, like, like mm -hmm. you say, yogis say, like the hard work is off the mat, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> then it's after that, you get back to reality and then you got to deal with work and friends and family and traffic, you know, <laughs> and things yeah. like that. And then applying that to, you know, your everyday situation, like, like in any sort of therapy or whatever, you know. And I, I want to highlight that this is a ceremony. You're not just like taking acid and yeah. going into the woods, right? <laughs> from Native American, you know, a shaman medicine woman, it's totally, okay. you know, it's not like somebody's basement, you know. Yeah, because what we see or what, what we, what is presented mostly online is people just like going on these trips, like unled, you know, no yeah. container. And, you know, I think that's the difference between just like doing drugs to have a good time and like taking yeah. plant medicine as part of a bigger ceremony. Absolutely. And now I'm glad that they're doing all these studies, you know, John Hopkins University is doing stuff with, um, you know, MDMA and, and, and psilocybin mushrooms, you know, to see mm -hmm. the effects it has on PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, and other things, you know, and, and I think that's so important because a lot of times, and this is a lot of callers, um, and I wish I could tell them about this stuff, but I can't, you know, but um, a lot of people would just benefit from it because, you know, they're, they're, they go to the psychiatrist and they have all these pharmaceuticals and a lot of them, mm -hmm. you know, are more suicidal than when they started, you know, and, and it's such a roller coaster and we don't know how pharmaceuticals are going to affect people and there's so many side effects. So um, I think this is a good solution, you know, that they're doing this research because I think it helps a lot of people without giving them those adverse side effects. And, and yeah, it's totally structured, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a legit, you know, um, thing. And, and it's, and it's part of a, and it's, that's the thing. It's, it's a ritual. It's a healing mm -hmm. ritual. And, and pretty much um, when you when you have a healing ritual, especially in Native American ceremonies, it's about recreating yourself and going back to the origins and going back to the beginning of the creation so you can co-create with the universe. And that's the idea of it. You're, you're pretty much stripped of, of, of everything, you know, that you've learned and known uh, in the sense that it gives you that that relief of you're like, wow, this is me, just my bare self, my bare soul. And and you're you have the opportunity to just create yourself after that you know and it, and it really um it can be liberating for so many people because the stuff that they've held on to the stuff you know the resentments um you know the negative patterns they're like oh that's not me i don't have to be that person you know and it's i think it's amazing i mean it's just nothing short from magical from what i've seen the people that go there and you know what i've experienced it's it's really mm. like wow <laughs> you i know? guess you release those ego identifiers like oh kristen yorka is this person so she makes these choices you know stripped of like this personality in this body at this time i feel like then the world opens up then maybe anything is possible yeah yeah exactly you don't you don't have that identity locking you into that role you know mm -hmm. you have all these limitless possibilities that now you're like, oh, I, well, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? You know, right. why have I locked myself into this identity my whole life? And and it's extremely empowering and extremely just freeing, you know? Which, which could also be scary for people. I'm not gonna lie, when somebody says, oh, you could do anything, part of me is like, oh, can I trust myself to do anything? <laughs> you know, like, what <laughs> if I like blow up my whole life? 
know? Yeah, like, yeah. And I mean, yeah, there are certain risks, you know, like, um, you know, like in tarot and fools jumping off, the, you know, the edge, he's about to go into the abyss, you know, you don't know what to expect, you know? And, and that's the thing, there's always risks in everything we do, but there's always risks in the things we don't do, you know? Um, so life itself is a risk. So it's just about just following your inner knowing and, and your, I guess your authenticity and where, where you want to go, you know, what kind of person you want to become, what kind of person do you no longer want to be? Um, and it gives you the freedom to do that and to explore that. Yeah, that just reminded me, you said tarot card, the fool, but when you're holding on to your life super tight, it's been my experience that it's like time for the tower where everything gets burnt to the ground through no effort of your own. And you're like, okay, now I have to change. You know, now I'm forced yeah. to change because nothing as I knew it exists any longer. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, we could become so comfortable in our roles and identities. And sometimes we need that tower card to kick our butts and kind of shift us out of a bad pattern or a bad relationship, a bad job situation. You know, and there's been times in my life where it's like, oh, I know this isn't right for me. I know this isn't right for me. Then boom, come down comes the tower. And I'm like, well, thank God that happened, you know, because you were so scared to take that leap, you know, to leave that job, to leave that relationship. And, and it's sometimes you need that outside influence, you know, if you're too comfortable where you're at, you know that they, they only become blessings when we look back. Like there's so many times I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't get that house or thank God that relationship failed. Like, thank God those were all blessings because I would be stuck in a situation that I could not bear in this moment in my life. Yeah, yeah. And another thing it does, honestly, it opens up your intuition because since we're, we're experiencing new ways of knowing, then, you know, we try to, we, we start to trust ourselves more when we do encounter kind of, you know, situations where we need some guidance. So it's, it really helps also get in touch with yourself and your way of kind of processing information and making decisions. Yeah. So before we go, how, how do we start? If somebody's thinking like, there's probably something I'm not facing right now. There's probably some grief deep down inside that I have not had the courage to bear, what, sh what should they start doing? Again, it, everybody's so different, but I think a lot of times it starts, if, if you're not immediately able to think about something, you know, um, just kind of automatically, like just write down what's bothering you, you know, what, and also just kind of brainstorm, you know, um, what things are, are, are triggering you, what, what's causing you kind of distress, what's making you feel more constricted, also, you know, the body scan, you know, where are you holding your attention? Why, you know, why? Like, you know, in traffic, I notice I'm always like, <laughs> well, you know, and, you know, but I'm not conscious of it, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. So the same thing, if you, maybe you, you have a relationship with somebody, you know, not romantic necessarily, but just any, a coworker or whatever. And each time they come into the room, you're kind of like, eh, you cringe or you feel more constricted. Why, mm -hmm. why is that? You know, and ask yourself, or, or when something, somebody tells you something, okay, Am I mad because um, of what they said, or is it because it's something that's reminding me of something I did, or so you know, a way that I am, or a pattern that I have? Mm -hmm. You know, what's triggering these negative thoughts and emotions? What's triggering um, this resentment towards this person? You know, is it like because I don't want to hear the truth? Is it you know because it's it's something I don't want to face, or or is it just simply because they're a jerk? You know, so it really is that, that whole you know that whole analysis of is it me? Is it you? You know, so it's like constant exploration of um, of, of kind of that inner work that always has to be done. You know, a shadow work is so important through this, you know, um, and in any situation really, um, just kind of coming to terms with the negative stuff that you've disowned, stuff that you don't want to face, some, you know, stuff that you don't want to admit about yourself or mm -hmm. about what happens. And, 
And I think it's just important to be in touch with that and, and kind of let it flow through you, you know, because any sort of movement is processing energetically, you know, vocally, whatever. So I think it's really important for people to be aware of that. Yeah, and the willingness to be in it, right? Like without immediately grabbing for like the glass of wine or like the pills or the CBD or whatever, your cigarette. Yeah. To be able to even, I even think it's it's beneficial, even if you eventually grab that glass of wine, if you allowed yourself to sit there an hour longer than you would have otherwise, yeah. I think that's still a gift. Yeah, of course, because you're not denying it. You know, you're not blocking it out. You're not, you know, kind of stuffing it down. Mm -hmm. You're at least acknowledging it, you know, and yeah, if you want that wine to relax after, yeah, but, but don't let <laughs> it prevent you from processing. I know what you're going through, yeah. Or romanticizing what you're going through, right? That's it. I think that, well, that's my favorite, right? Play the sad Joni Mitchell and drink the glass of wine <laughs> and sob. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, sometimes you do need that, you know, that music, you know, to kind of just go into the depth of depression and call it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to do that, you know, and just, but that's it. But you're feeling the feelings, you know? Yeah. As long as you don't stay there, it, you know, that's the bad part, yeah. Life, death, life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, where they where can they find you best? Um, they can uh, find me on social media. You know, um, my Instagram is, I mean, it's a private account, but they can always friend request me. Um, it's ecom in SOFLA, so I-K-A-M-I-N-S-O-F-L-A. But also my email is ikamacosta at gmail.com. So it's I-K-A-M-A-C-O-S-T-A at gmail.com. Perfect. So if you need and, any direction or questions, reach out to Ikam. Yes. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast again, um, <laughs> bringing your wisdom and uplifting the idea of processing grief and awareness of death. So thanks you again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Great talking to you. Two. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>